Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is part two of uh, the Distraction Pieces podcast, episode 155, with Mr. Christopher Fairbank. Um, I'm sure you enjoyed part one. I enjoyed part one. But part two is about to get real. Because he, he's very open and honest about his career. It's the, the beauty of someone who's been in the game for, for 40 years. Um, oh, I didn't I didn't mention in the previous intro, we talk about a lady, a Macbeth, which is still in some cinemas. But yeah, I absolutely adore it. So check that out. It's wonderful. But um, I'm going to just go straight in on this. I've mentioned speech of com. I have to mention them every week because that's kind of how I pace... I pay some of my bills, the beautiful support of you lovely people and, and buying the merch that I put a lot of time and effort in and a lot of, of love into. In fact, our Dark Summer range has just come out and it was a bit weird to do swimwear. It, I, it was a risk, but it's gone down incredibly well, so I'm pleased with it. But I want to do a Dark Winter range, but I don't know what to do. Like What what products... So hit me up on Twitter, at Scroobius Pipio, or Instagram, or Facebook. What, what products would you like to see in a Dark Winter range? Um, I'll, I'll definitely be doing j- jumpers and stuff because I've done them before. But yeah, interesting one. So anyway, on with the podcast. This is part two with Chris Fairbank. This piece of fiction is the intro to destruction. This piece of fiction is the intro to destruction. This piece of fiction is the intro to destruction. This piece of fiction is the intro to destruction. Yeah, that's perfect. So, 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 what's the route from? So, at the age of of five, you've you've had the pain of TV taken away from you for three weeks. So, you've known the the worth and value of TV. In this time, you found a love for acting and and being on on stage, um, and 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 an ability to, uh, uh, to do so. So, what was the route from? Um, Amdram Society to you know a, a forty year career in, yeah. in 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 or was it TV first or film? No, no, was it? it was theatre. Um, what happened was um, it was uh, I I I did I got nine months yeah. uh, uh, in Southwood. Um, I was released. I think it was seven and a half. I got about six weeks knocked off for uh, good behaviour. Yeah. Um, and uh, I still had my job as a hospital porter, and I uh, had saved because uh, out of your wages, uh, after dinner money, uh, pocket money, and your home office five pounds uh, per week was deducted. Everything yeah. else, or if there was. Uh, anything else um and uh hospital portering uh relatively speaking was uh oh, quite a well-paid job especially right. when i turned 18 as mm-hmm. i did uh in there um everything else was put into a post office account for me right so when i was finally released i think i had um nearly a hundred pounds saved right which was a fortune, yeah, an absolute fortune, and was taken to Brentford and Islands uh, and got fitted sheets and uh, pots and pans and all the rest of it. The warden uh, um, helped me out with that, um, and I got a bed sit uh, in Ivanhoe Road, just on the edge of Sefton Park, and it was literally a walk through the park to work every day. Yeah. Um, and I, I was still doing plays with Merseyside Unity. Fantastic. And it was a production of Live Like Pigs by mm-hmm. John Arden. And the director of this production was a guy called Bill Murray, not the Hollywood <laughs> yeah. uh, 
Bill Murray, but yeah. um, he, uh, the Bill Murray that I I knew, um, uh, was a tutor at a uh, teacher's training college right. uh, in Ormskirk. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was also a professional actor. Um, but as I much later on uh, found out, his firstborn was severely autistic. Right. And he had to make the terrible choice of the vicarious living that acting is mm-hmm. um, or a steady job that kept him at home in yeah, order sure. to obviously uh, be with his uh, his son and uh, support uh, uh, the mother and, and so on and so forth. And that's what he did. But he was forever regaling tales of rep and yes. I hung on every word, of yeah, course. Of course. Uh, I mean, he was like God to me. Yeah. And it was during the technical of, of this production that he, and only he, the very first person in my life at that point, who'd asked me, had I ever thought about becoming a professional actor? Right. To which I said, oh, think about little else, but yeah. I don't think I'm good enough. And he said, oh, nonsense, of course you are. So I said, but I don't know how to go about it. I don't know what to do. Yeah. And he said, well, you go to drama school and then from there you enter the profession. And I said, well, I know that you were an actor. Did you go to drama school? And he said, well, I did, as a matter of fact. I, I went to, to RADA, which impressed the hell out of me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I said, oh... Uh, and with his uh, support, um, I immediately um, got prospectuses and application forms wow. for uh, RADA, Central, and Bristol Old Vic. Mm-hmm. But then, as I was waiting for all of these to come through the post, I suddenly hit a real downer because I still had a year's probation to do right. under a supervisionary uh uh, situation right and which I would ha- restrict well that's what i thought i, I thought you know oh this is what, what's the point and um it was the following appointment that i had with me liverpool uh probation officer who was anything but the uh sort of gentle touchy-feely if you will not in the literal yeah, yeah, sense yeah, of the yeah, word yeah, yeah. um but um mr slee yeah. uh in saffron warden was um very rural yeah and i wish i could remember um uh i know it was tom and i know it was the vernon building on london road that i had to go to in liverpool yeah but uh tom yeah. uh was uh, uh, uh a different slice of the cake shall yeah. we say yeah. you know and he, he he left me in no doubt that he wasn't going to take any messing or mugging yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, and the yeah. minute that I slip up, uh, you won't see, you know, this office anymore. Yeah. It will be back to court, etc., yeah. etc. Et but um, there was something really good about him because uh, I appreciated his forthrightness, really. Yeah. You know, yeah. I knew exactly where I stood with him. Anyway, yeah. I came in and he said, what's the matter with you? You know, you're looking miserable. Uh, what's gone wrong? And I, I said, well, you know, I, I, I've been given encouragement to become an actor, which is what I want to do. And I want to go to drama school. But what's the point? Because I've still got a, a year's probation to uh, to do. And I can't just keep cutting out of classes to see yet another probation. He said, listen, he said, under the rules of probation anyway, um, after you've completed half of your order, um, i.e. in about three or four weeks' time, the year was coming up, um, he said, your case is automatically reviewed. Right. And he said, and if you get accepted at a drama school or any other college, uh, that will go a long way, along with my report, 
mm-hmm. to seeing your uh, other year completely dropped. Amazing. He said, you've got no idea the people that I've seen over the years who right. are completely without hope, without motivation, yeah. without anything to mm-hmm. do anything other than repeat a pattern that has been set yeah. and will never be broken. Yeah. He said, if you can do something with your life, believe me, lad, I'll be right behind you. Yeah. On, and on, that, on a, on a, uh, a, for a review board or a parole officer yeah. or, or, or who anyone who has seen um, client after client or, or, or parolee after parolee who, as you said, are just on that path, what they're dreaming of each morning is someone coming in who's got some, who Absolutely. wants to pull themselves out, who something. wants to turn yep. this around, rather than them having another one that's just, this yep. is a never-ending cycle. Yep. It's heartbreaking. So it makes sense that there would indeed be that support. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's it. That was the, the final kicker. I can remember uh, as clear as it as if it happened 10 minutes ago. Yeah. I flew out of his office, uh, you know, at the end of uh, the session, went straight back to uh, my bed sit, yeah. and that was it, you know, yeah. I was on. And I filled out the application forms and whacked them off. And uh, Rada would, no, sorry, Bristol was the first one that came up, and they were equivocal. They, they were, well, you know, we'd like you to come back for a workshop but that won't be for another month. But right. uh, like a good concert pianist, you must keep practicing all the time. Yeah, you yeah, will yeah. just get better and better. So it was kind of, oh, I don't know. But at least, you know, um, I'd, I'd made a start. And I'm, yeah. I have to say that the setting uh, of the old Vic School in Bristol was just to die for. I yeah. mean, I, I, just the uh, the picturesque surroundings, frankly, yeah, yeah. made me think... This is where I'd really this like to go. To be, yeah. But then the RADA audition uh, came up, which uh, was, uh, well, again, um, I seem to be full of unique experiences. And this, again, was another one insofar as how I found out um, the, uh, the uh, result of right. my audition. The form was that you had to prepare a Shakespeare and a modern, no longer than three minutes each piece. Mm-hmm. You did it in front of five or six people uh, in the morning. Um, if they uh, thought that you were, you know, potentially any good, uh, you then had an interview with the principal of uh, of the drama of Rada uh, in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. And then you did the same pieces again in front of the same six people that had already seen them, plus the principal. And right. on that, the decision was made wow. well um to put it in its sort of socio-political context um the miners in february 1972 uh were in the process of bringing down the heath government yep. of the time mm-hmm. uh they were on strike um there wasn't enough coal to keep the electricity uh, generators burning mm-hmm. so there were these uh by this time regulated three-hour blackouts of the national grid and you were given plenty of notice and in the good old sort of british blitz spirit you know uh people got on with it they had plenty of water candles were at a premium all of those kind of things and they would be for three hours 
um, mm-hmm. and then your power would be back on, and it was alternated all around the country. Well, it just so happened that the night before my audition at RADA, uh, I was involved in the third production with Merseyside Unity Theatre of Peter Weiss's uh, Marissade, and we were doing it at another teacher's training college um, in Ormskirk, which is about 20 miles uh, outside of Liverpool, mm-hmm. um, up the East Lanks Road there. And... Um, because of these blackouts, um, we couldn't start the show until nine o'clock in the evening. Right. And uh, because we were blacked out from yeah. six until nine. Yeah. Um, so we had a massively delayed curtain. Uh, the Marissade is not a short piece. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Unity, bless them, uh, had a whip round and uh, bought me a uh, sleeper. Uh, berth right. on the overnight train from Liverpool down to London because uh, I had a 10 o'clock uh, audition wow. uh, uh, the following morning and uh, it was all arranged Pat Durkin uh, had a car and uh, he would drive and Lime Street Station in Liverpool at that time you could literally drive right into the station upside the train there was oh, this wow. massive concourse and it was literally uh, um, zoom, zoom, as the train was very slowly moving as I leapt out of Pat Durkin's car and literally opened wow. up the door because, you know, it's none of these pre-sealed things. You yeah. could just open the door and yeah, jump yeah, on. Yeah. But prior to that, um, Bill Murray, who'd um, helped me with my audition speeches and so on, um, he stuck his head round the dressing room door and, you know, straight jackets and all the rest of it yep. flying around. Right. Yeah. Um, for those who don't know, uh, the play's set in a lunatic asylum, yeah. Yeah. hence the yeah. uh, reference to straight jackets. <laughs> However, um, he stuck his head round the door, wishing me good luck for my audition the following morning. Mm-hmm. But most importantly, he said, now, this is something that I've, I've, I've been uh, really worried about, whether I should say anything or not, and I've decided I am going to say something. They may say something about your skin because I had terrible acne. I mean, really, really bad. I had to be very careful about grimacing uh, for fear of uh, popping yet another cyst that would exude rivers of pus. I mean, literally, oh, it it was awful. It really, really was bad. And in fact, it was the, the elephant in the room. Yeah. Uh, as far as I was concerned, mm-hmm. I dedicated my life from the onset of blackheads right up until this moment in time to uh, try and upstage my face right. at every conceivable <laughs> right. opportunity. Great. Yeah. Um, so he'd mentioned it and uh, I honestly thought that, uh, you know, he hadn't even noticed, you know. But anyway, um, as it turned out, it was the best thing that he could possibly have said mm-hmm. because I got through the uh, first round mm-hmm. and uh, my uh, interview was at two o'clock and then I had to do the same pieces again yep. uh, at four that right, afternoon. Okay. So at half past one, I'm sat outside. Mr. Hugh Crutwell uh, is the name of the of the principal of RADA at that time. I'm sat outside his uh, his office uh, waiting to, to go and sure enough at two o'clock I was summoned uh, in um, and uh, literally before my ass had even touched the seat of the chair he said what's the matter with your skin well and had Bill Murray not said that the night would've before I would have folded oh yeah. absolutely I would have just dissolved ran out the That's door amazing. ran up and you know just you know 
wish that someone would just chop my head off yeah, now yeah, and yeah, that'll yeah. be the end of it yeah. and everything would be great. Anyway, because I was forewarned, um, I just said, I said, it's acne. He said, what? No, it's not. And I said, well, it is. He said, no, no, no. He said, I know acne, and that's far, far worse. I mean, stage makeup would barely cover that, would it? Film and uh, television's completely out of the question. Radio, I think, is the only thing you could do. He said, have you seen anybody about this? And I remember being under a dermatologist when I was away at school. And having never thought of the man until this particular moment in time, I remembered his name. <laughs> and I said, yes, I did. I saw a, a dermatologist. And he said, what was his name? And I said, Dennis Charville. Dennis Charville, yes. And where was this? I said, the Kenton Canterbury Hospital, Canterbury, Kent. He said, mm. yes. He said, because, I mean, really, it is awful. You know, we've got to be honest about this. He said, uh, have you ever thought about teaching? And I said, well, No. I said, it's like asking a policeman, has he thought about being a fireman? I mean, completely different professions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it quite? Yes, yes. He said, so it's actor or bust, is it? And I said, yes, it is. That's exactly what it is. Well, the Cognoscenti um, told me that if I'd been accepted, I'd received this massive thick envelope with grant forms, those were the right. days, yeah. um, kit list, you know, all of the paraphernalia that accompanies, yeah. uh, you know, further education. On the other hand, if I'd failed, it would just be a letter. Yeah. And I think it was about a week after all of this, and I was coming back from work, uh, doing a shift at, at the hospital, and as I approached me bedsit and Ivanhoe Road, there flapping in the wind was what obviously looked like an envelope. Yeah. So thin and mm-hmm. weak, it didn't have the strength to make it through the, uh, the right. letterbox. It yep. sort of gave up halfway, it seemed. Yep. Anyway, I extricated the thing from, uh, and it was a vicious, you know, one of those highly sprung jobs that could take your fingers yeah. off if yeah. you weren't careful, yeah. you know. Heavy. Uh, yeah, I, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, so I pulled this letter out, and there was the RADA logo on the envelope, mm-hmm. and I very nearly just tore it up and yeah. pinned it, knowing fully well as I thought what was inside. Yeah. But uh, being an actor through and through, you've got to suffer. So yeah. with lip a tremble and eyes welling up, fingers shaking, you know, I opened the envelope to read what I thought would be the inevitable words. Instead of which, (laughs) it was a letter from uh, Hugh Crutwell, the principal, and he said, Dear Christopher, uh, tried without success to contact Dennis Charville. Is there anybody else who could offer me a prognosis as to your skin? And, of course, being a porter, uh, I thought, (laughs) there's loads of them. Loads of doctors there. So I literally about turned with the letter in my hand. I ran across Sefton Park back to work to the hospital. And hitherto I'd never even dared look at a doctor, never mind speak to one in my lowly capacity as a a porter. Um, Anyway, the first white coat was uh, a doctor called Dr. Woodward, who was a young, uh, you know, just graduated medic who's doing his two years internship at at a hospital. Um, and I, I, I just 
collared him and, and said, Doctor, you know, I've got this letter and, you know, I want to go to drama school, etc., 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 but, you know, he's worried about my skin. Um, is there anything that you could say to sort of, you know, set his, his, his mind at rest over this? So he took me into a toilet, I think it was, you know, and sort of had a poke and a prod around the old uh, face and everything. And he said, well, how old are you? I said, well, I'm 18. He said, well, it won't be as bad as it is now. Mm-hmm. He said, it will uh, uh, subside, of course. He said, but you'll never have a smooth complexion. You yeah. know, you'll always have, you know, pop marks and yeah, scars yeah, yeah, and yeah. all the rest of it. He, but he said, you know, look at Richard Burton, you know, actor of the day, you know, who had a, a bit of a pockmark skin. Yeah. He said, you know, I don't think that should be a, a, pre, uh, a precluder to uh, yeah, sure. you being an actor. Far from it, I would have thought. I said, well, well could you possibly write this to me? <laughs> Put this down. Yeah. Um, without, as I said, compromising your, your hypocritic oath, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, however, um, 10 days uh, later or so, I was walking up a corridor with a bag of dirty linen and the same said doctor was coming in the opposite direction. And just as he passed me, he said, oh, he said, have you heard from Radha at all? And I said, no, doctor, no, but uh, thank you. Thank you very much for everything that you've done. I really, really appreciate it. He said, not at all. He said, you better have a look at this. And it was a letter from uh, Cropwell, the principal, uh, thanking him. Yep. for his prognosis, and also saying that he will be offering me a place here. Amazing. And that's how I found out that wow. <laughs> that I got accepted at, uh, at RADA. Or yeah. with a shoulder full of dirty laundry. Yeah, indeed, dirty, that dirty went up in the air. Yeah. Oh, man, there were <laughs> sheets all over. Oh, whoa, dear. Then my boss, the senior porter, said, what are you doing throwing this all over the place, for God's sake? I said, I've Amazing. just been accepted at RADA. That's fantastic. It took another five days for the kit list to come through. Yeah. In the meantime, I thought, oh, they've changed their minds. You know, they've realised they've made a terrible mistake. No, 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 I won't be going. But yes, yeah. the day did eventually come when, you know, it was all proper pucker. And, Amazing. Uh, and off I went. And to be ex- accepted. Oh, well, let's uh, fast forward a bit and, and jump around. What was the transition from stage to, I mean... Let's go straight to the 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 real blow up moment for you of Alfie the same pet of what so many people knew you for oh, of yeah. what so many people yeah it, I mean at its time I mean I was a, y- a young at that time but I remember how big a show that was and yeah. how it was a, a one of the first I remembered of 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 a group of lads yeah a group of lads a group of working class lads kind of out there doing it and having their adventures and, yeah. and and that kind of thing so 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 how n- number one how did that come about and number two how was that to to have that block particularly in the uh, to pardon the pun in the face of being told that that your face isn't particularly for anything other than radio um so yeah how was that it, it it was extraordinary. It, it was born out of trauma, yeah. uh, personally speaking. Right. Uh, um, not long previously, I think it was only a couple of months, um, I'd uh, had a disastrous encounter with the Royal Shakespeare Company right. uh, that resulted in uh, my being sacked, oh, wow. um, which uh, arguably was a good thing insofar as that uh, I knew right from the get-go I'd made an awful mistake right um you know i was doing something to uh well essentially please my agent right you know i felt it was uh you know the the difference between uh uh doing something because uh 
you think you ought to mm-hmm. as opposed to doing something because you want to yeah and it was an ought rather than a want yeah um not that i've got anything against uh uh shakespeare far from it mm-hmm. um but uh the 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 whole um uh situation at the time uh, it, it was doomed really looking back on it however uh i'd been fired uh, which uh, 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 was a deeply unpleasant uh, experience. Yeah. Uh, the relief of being out of it was was quite good, but it didn't last very long. And then I was uh, in in a terrible state, really, because I, I honestly thought I was never going to work again because mm-hmm. I'd had a bit of a, a, an up and down uh, career. Uh, up to that point yeah. uh, anyway and i really thought that i was in danger of uh you know that, that um, was it exactly you know that i managed to uh, close the final door mm. uh, on myself and uh never yeah. to be reopened however um like uh, well all my work really um it comes from a telephone call and my agent um, uh, uh, phoned me up and said that uh, I've got this uh, um, audition for you. Um, it's a show about builders. And uh, funnily enough, I'd worked up, up at the um, University Theatre in Newcastle on Tyne uh, on a production of Romeo and Juliet. And mm-hmm. the actor who played Benvolio in that production was uh, Kevin Waitley. Right. Um, and he uh, lived across Tootingbeck Common from me mm-hmm. at that time. And I remember him coming round in those wonderful days where people would ring your doorbell, you know, and you didn't have to up. make an appointment, mm-hmm. you know, with three days at least uh, for the uh, recipient to change their yeah. minds rather conveniently. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, all of that nonsense. You just not on people's doors yeah, you know they're in, they're in. Uh, exactly and if they're not okay well try again later yeah, or yeah. make a phone call uh, yeah. uh, or whatever anyway kev uh, knocked on the door and he said listen and he'd just been cast as neville yeah. um in our design and he said listen it's a great script it's dick clement and ian lafrenet it's about builders in germany um uh you've got to get your agent onto it and uh, I found out, actually, because I phoned my agent uh, after speaking with, with Kev. And um, uh, I, uh, well, let's put it this way. Um, I was left in no doubt that um, suggestions from actors in terms of productions, casting and all the rest of it uh, were, were not uh, welcome. Thank yeah. you very much. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, that's yeah. my job. And uh, don't you worry about uh, giving me suggestions. I know what's going on, etc. Yeah. Anyway, the audition came up. And I met uh, Roger Bamford, Martin McKean, uh, director and producer, and Dick Clement, uh, one of the writers. Um, I can't remember where it was. doesn't really matter. Um, a room somewhere in London. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, they'd only written two of them, uh, two of the episodes right. at the time. Uh, it, it, that in itself is, is, uh, um, uh, marks the change uh, uh, from then till now in terms yeah. of television. Yeah. I mean, 13 hours, uh, two complete scripts. I know that Dick Clement and Ian Lafrenet have a track record par excellence. Yeah. So there was a, a huge amount of, of, of trust and, um, and um, respect yeah. uh, given to the fact that they are brilliant writers. Yeah, and whether they've got one, two, nine, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Uh, with their names on it, it's, it should be good. Yeah. But um, it was uh, a case, really, of um, this one character that uh, they'd written 
which was a regular, um, uh, but um, uh, it was essentially um, for a friend of Ian Lafrené, who um, was a musician, Mm -hmm. uh, but fancied doing a bit of acting. And because he was an unknown quantity as far as uh, acting was concerned, uh, there wasn't too much of it, uh, certainly at this particular stage. Anyway, it turns out that the guy in question got a music gig. I think he went on tour with David Bowie or something. Mm -hmm. Uh, Anyway, he he wasn't up for it, and uh, so it was up for grabs. And um, uh, Dick Clement said, uh, you know, so uh, what do you think? We, we frankly uh, don't quite know really what to do with this character other than uh, make him a bit sickly, you know, mm-hmm. that he's always got a bit of a cold and, yeah. uh, you know, he's possibly a, a, a bit of a stutter. Um, so I said, okay. Uh, I said, well, it seems to me that it's kind of round the regions. You've got three Geordies, you've got a Brummy, you've got a West Country, you've got a Cockney. I said, well, I'm fluent in Scouse. I said, I lived up there for uh, uh, a couple of years without going into further detail. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, I said, so, you know, yes, <laughs> I said, you know, I, I, I've got the accent down. He said, well, it's funny you should say that. He said, because uh, Ian and I were thinking possibly Irish. So Liverpool. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. could uh, yeah. that could work. And uh, I, there was a, a scene that I read and um, essentially I got the uh, the job from that. But Amazing. my agent was uh, not keen. Yeah. Um, given that she understood uh, you know why I was desperate to uh, to get on with it. You know, 100%. she said, "Well, she said, well, look, you know, I'm just very worried because I don't think that there's enough there to keep you interested." Mm-hmm. And I said, "Yeah, but they've only written two, you know, so you know, as as you other episodes, exactly, you know." And my, in uh, I didn't actually say it to her, but in my mind, I thought, "Well, I'll act my way into." Uh, uh, doing a bit more, you 100%. know, I'll just be as, as as good as I possibly can be, and hopefully they'll think, oh, you know, maybe we can do this. But as um, Pippa Markham, bless her, um, said, and quite rightly, mm-hmm. she said, look, because it was originally an ITV show, uh, so an hour's program in reality is, I think, about 54 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, it's probably even less now, less but than that um, now. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, certainly back then you're looking at sort of 54 minutes, mm-hmm. you know, with all the commercial breaks and so on. She said they got three Geordies who are a main uh, um, main characters. Yeah. You've got um, Tim Spall, who she also represents, yep. uh, playing the Brummie, and Gary Holton. There, there just isn't room to develop yet another. Um, ongoing character yeah. amongst all of the supporting uh, characters that have to be part of any story yeah. she said you know you're going to be stuck with one or two lines per episode and uh, I know how potentially dangerous it is when you get bored because mm-hmm. uh, you start to press the self-destruct button mm-hmm. and uh, right. all of that uh, she said, but on the other hand, I do understand in the light of uh, what happened at, uh, at Stratford 
uh, your your desperate need to uh, to be back to work in work. And I said, well, that that that's it. You know, I, yeah. I've got to do something because uh, I'm terrified that I'm never going to work again. She said, well, you're that bloody close to it, so it's a a well founded terror. Yeah. So it's, all not, it's, right. it's not an irrational fear. No, right? exactly. It's, it's a very rational fear. <laughs> exactly. You've got a good point. <laughs> yes. So um, she said, "Look, I'll I'll fight like hell to to get you decent money, but um, you know, I, I still think that you're going to suffer uh, with this. But uh, all right, I'll go ahead. Correct. And so um, that essentially is uh, how it all and again how I, it all started. I love the, that outlook, and obviously coming from completely different worlds but the 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 four acting gigs i've had have been exactly the same it's Mm. been tiny roles that i've said look number one i'm brand new so i don't feel entitled to anything and number two just let me get there just let me get there and get on set and be involved absolutely and we'll see and and all of them so far at least at the point of of filming the role has grown like yeah Taboo was the greatest example of literally they only had the first four scripts and in that I think I had one maybe two lines was lurking about a bit mm. but that was it and there was promise of more to come but that's always yeah, I'd yeah. imagine every person cast there's promise of more to come yeah, yeah, and it was beautiful that by the last episode I'm getting involved loads I've got lines Sorry. here lines there yeah. action here action there and again it's if you don't like as you said about no, I'm not particularly a believer in, in, in luck or fate or any of these things, but I do believe you've got to put yourself in those opportunities and in oh, those yeah. those positions to be there for it to, Absolutely. to grow. And if you go and it's a tiny role and all that, you've experienced that. Yeah. It's done and, and yeah. you move on to the next thing. But Yeah, well, um, there, there is um, uh, one of these great um, um, uh, exponents uh, and uh, very learned uh, individuals who uh, chose to write about uh, acting, uh, mm-hmm. Stanislavski, mm-hmm. um, is famously quoted as saying that there is no such thing as a small part. Yeah, only a small actor. Yep, and I, I believe that Stephen uh, Graham would say that to me regularly on set because he really he took me under under his yeah. his wing on taboo. Yeah, and again, I I played. No matter how small my part was, I played it to myself every scene as if it was my scene. There you go. So I, again, he, he, not in a. I'm trying to steal the no, no, the scene. No, but no, no. I'm, I know I'm well in the background, but in my mind, the camera is right in front of me. Yes. So I need to be playing my scene absolutely perfectly. Play, that was exactly kind of, playing the scene. Yeah. You know yeah. that's absolutely yeah. it. It really, yeah. really is. I remember an actor, um, uh, a terrific character actor. Dave Hill, mm-hmm. uh, his name is. And uh, uh, I was doing, uh, as I've done so much uh, over the years, you know, as they as they very nicely say, guesting yeah. in one episode yeah. of a long-running series. Yeah. And this was, I think it was called City Central. It was uh, uh, a cop show. Um, and Dave Hill, who I'd known for quite a few years uh, at that time, uh, was one of the regulars. Mm-hmm. And as he put it, he said, I don't mind, as happened, I believe, the week previously to uh, my showing up. He said, I don't mind spending three or four days standing around a grave Mm -hmm. um, as part of uh, a funeral cortege. As long as I know 
that in my mind my character has got trouble with the wife he's worried yeah. about the child the, the children he's got this mm -hmm. issue at work and so on he said i never feel like i'm a background artist even yeah. though the focus of the scene yeah. is miles away from yeah. me if i've got that story within my character mm -hmm. going on then it feels to me that I'm as much a part and much needed and uh, as big a contributor, in effect, to the scene completely. as the entire focus yeah, of the scene. Completely. You know? uh, and uh, again, I've always... It, it kind of... It's the same as the philosophy in any job, that the time will go faster and be more enjoyable if you're working hard. And that Absolutely. sounds like a cheat in some way. But no, it's it, particularly, so I, I completely f f feel that because in TV and film, there's a lot of... Shooting the same scene from yep. many angles and going over and over again, and if it's not your scene as such, I could see how that could get boring or mm. monotonous. So, even as a survival mechanism, if you're putting that much thought into each one, it makes it go quicker. It makes it more Absolutely. enjoyable. It makes your day more fun yes. rather than, well, I know in three days I've got my scene. Oh, well, I've got some lines. You're like, if, if every yeah. day is your scene as such, then it exactly. allows you to engage in it like Absolute, that. Totally, completely yeah. and Well, I, I mean, I one of the great things going through your your career as such, and it, it may have, I'm sure it's felt different at certain times over the career, but it feels like you've always, that that, that fear you had just before our same pet of not getting work again, it feels like you've always had work mm. from then on. And, and, Oh, when I had Stephen Graham on the podcast, he discussed how, within reason, his job is to act yeah. and to be acting. Yeah. Um, if he's a plumber, he doesn't go around to a house and go, "No, I don't. I don't think I'll plumb this one. I don't fancy it." So, tell me, within reason, his his feeling was you have to be selective, but you've got to be doing your job you go there and work if it's a small Absolutely. role you go and do your job if it's yeah. a big role you get again there's no small roles there's only yeah. only a small actors as such so um i'm gonna i run through a few different things that that, that jumped out when i was mm. was going through um again some are small roles some are, are big as so you can spend as, as as little or as much time on them as you want but sure. the first one that jumped out is there's a couple in there that I'm a massive fan of superhero films and comic ah. books. I'm a comic book guy, yeah, yeah. so I'm a big fan of that. And the first Batman film, ah. 1989, is yeah. the one that set the tone, the Tim Burton, just mm. amazing. And that was one that, that, that jumped out of there. How was that to be part of? Because, again, that's going to very much what would seem to be a Hollywood production. It's a, yeah. it's a different world. It's, it's, it's not, and it's not a different a world as in you, you're in Germany and your builders it's, mm. it's a different world isn't it? it's literally a different world so, yeah. so how was that to completely be completely and utterly to be it, it, it was fantastic it yeah. really was I mean the genesis uh, right from the casting just to very quickly give the background yeah um, there were two casting directors on that movie right uh, there was the British casting director a lady called Maggie Cartier yeah and the US casting director uh, who was uh, Marion Doherty mm -hmm. you see the times I've, I've had that if it takes the the pressure off a little bit for me because my thought is oh they're looking for this character all over the world mm. so if i don't get this role it's because there's a lot of Absolutely. there's a lot of competition so it, yeah i've kind of enjoyed it at points when i'm like well we're doing the uk casting but but, but we're also auditioning for this character in australia and yeah. in america and all this. yeah it kind of makes me go oh i can just go and enjoy it then <laughs> Do you know what I mean? there's not, there's not, i'm not in competition with 
anyone particularly like me as such. Yes. I'm in competition with unknown quantities. Yeah. So, yeah. But, well, yeah, go um, on. Continue. Well, well uh, Pippa Markham, um, uh, my agent, uh, <laughs> um, uh, had had a row. Uh, handbags, hissy fit, whatever, with the UK casting director, right. Maggie Cartier. I don't know what it was about, <laughs> um, but uh, it turned out, to, as Pippa told me, um, Maggie Cartier is refusing to see any of my clients. Oh, but wow. I know Marion Doherty because she was forever flitting back with them forwards. Uh, and I used to, I, I hated it when uh, I'd phone up and, oh no, Pip's in uh, uh, America at the minute, she'll be back whenever. Because mm-hmm. I thought, oh, Oh, no, she's going to be headhunted, and the next thing is that she's going to be in America permanently. Yeah. And, and anyway, she she didn't. She always came back, but she said, "I can get you to see Marion Doherty, mm-hmm. who actually is much closer to Tim Burton yeah, yeah. than uh, Maggie Cartier ever will be." <laughs> you know all of that. Anyway, it. so I saw Marion Doherty. And uh, because it was an American uh, uh, character in, you know, a full-on big Hollywood studio Mm -hmm. uh, picture, um, it was all about the accent, really, and making sure that that was, uh, you know, acceptable. Yeah. Um, uh, So she listened to me read the lines and everything, and she said, no, I think that's uh, that's very good. That's very good indeed. I want you to meet Tim, so I will work on that, and I will speak to Pipper, and great to meet you. And, of course, I thought, well, I won't hear anything more than that. Of course. Um, But, lo, it came to pass, and uh, I I went out to Pinewood uh, to um, meet Tim Burton, um, and, um, uh, by the time I got back, because there were, there was no cars, you know, it was all, you know, you get yeah. the train to yeah. Ivor Heath Oops, and then you yeah. get a mini cab from Ivor station to yeah. Pinewood and, uh, no expenses could be claimed yeah, yeah. in any way, shape yeah. or form. All expenses spared. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. I'm going to remember that one. <laughs> All expenses spared, absolutely. <laughs> so, in a sense, it was an investment, you know, because I, I was certainly, um, you know, uh, well, no, I, I, I think I managed because uh, Alvidasain uh, proved to be successful. You yeah. know, I, I managed to have a, a few quid in the bank, but even so, you know, it was an investment that I was more than prepared to mm-hmm. uh, to invest in. And uh, before I got back uh or by the time i got back to my flat at the time uh in those great days of of answer phone machines you know um uh there was the green light flashing Flashing away away, and i thought oh hello (laughs) oh oh, oh, oh." um and then thought no it's probably my mum or a mate you know uh Everything because, frankly, you know, I, d- I didn't think the decision would be made that quickly. But, however, no, it was uh, um, Pip's assistant Emma Amazing. saying, um, "Darling, it's an offer. Uh, it's a week's well, work." Uh, but bum bum bum, you know, we'll we'll do the deal. And uh, what a week it was! Yeah. Uh, oh, phenomenal. Well, Anton first, who uh, who designed mm. uh, um, the first Batman, yeah. and uh, subsequently, tragically. Um, took his own life. Oh, wow. Uh, but his, uh, I mean, it was extraordinary. I was in New York for the first and only time uh, in 1981, I think it was. 
And when I walked onto, I think it was C stage at, at Pinewood, mm-hmm. uh, which is, uh, well, uh, Batman took over virtually all of Pinewood, but the yeah. location, yeah. as it were, the rooftop uh, that I was working on was on, on C stage, and it was unbelievable. I literally stood there, closed my eyes, opened them up, and as far as I was concerned, I was in uh, downtown Manhattan. Yeah. Uh, it was just brilliant amazing it, it was it was i couldn't believe a studio set yeah. uh, that looked so so real yeah um you couldn't see the seams you know it, and they had cars driving in and yeah and everything you know it it, it, it was it was truly an awesome awesome uh week and tough the pressure's always on uh, whenever you join a production yeah. uh, that's been up and running, I think it had been shooting for about six weeks yeah. uh, by the time I got uh, involved with it. And, and of You're course, suddenly the new boy. Exactly. And everybody were, you know, knew each other. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as I've known uh, for so long now, you know, uh, an MO, uh, you know, uh, is, is formed. People know each other and yeah. how they work and what they do and everything. And as you say, you know you really are the new boy in school yeah, or yeah. new kid on the block yeah. and um that in itself is pressure um because you know you ju- you just feel the weight of expectancy yeah. um yeah, and everybody seems to be so cool so slick and so quick and yeah. uh, so on and so forth but um uh the late Derek Randall was the first AD on it right. that was one of the things that always stands out whenever i think of yeah. Uh, yeah. of batman and tim burton um had uh you know his uh, trademark hair yeah, which yeah. was even longer yeah. then there was a an extraordinary pop star who uh, i i think you know sort of came to grief uh, eventually um uh but uh he was called tiny tim right um and he look he just reminded me of this guy tiny tim yeah. uh, who had this long black hair and uh, used to play a, a ukulele and sing right. in falsetto yeah he yeah, had a, yeah, yeah. a hit with tiptoe through, through the, the tulips yeah there we go yeah well tim reminded me very much of him and he had this kind of sleepy kind of way of you know talking and uh you know but you just knew that behind that laid-back uh facade there was a mind that was razor sharp and uh just such an imagination uh that we all know uh now but uh, he was, um, uh, I, I, oh, he'd done Beetlejuice, so he'd yeah. certainly got a, a, a track record. Yeah. But the the worry from the production side of things was the fact that that first Batman movie didn't have Robin mm-hmm. uh, involved. Yeah, yeah um, Which was how it was. Bob yeah. Kane, who created Batman, was there at Pinewood on set yeah, yeah. with his gold cane walking yeah, stick yeah. if you will um and he'd given his approval because yeah. that's uh, essentially how the whole um uh, batman yeah. um strip started completely and it's it, it, it dc at the time even when batman started it was that kind of it was the first of the darker more adult kind of gr- grown-up right. comic books absolutely and and, uh, and batman as as a lone orphan broken by the yes. death of his parents and all that was 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 the tone and the and the character Absolutely. of it and robin came into that but again you need to allow that character to uh, to to be told 
so that it then makes sense that he's taken in an orphan yes. and so on and so forth. That's yes. a that's a rich yeah. tapestry to to, yes. to weave before you just go. Oh, he's an orphan. He's got. An, he's taken in an orphan. He's that's right. He's showing, yeah. can't speed through that. Yeah. Well, that segues brilliantly Pip, into the second uh, um, clenchy moment from the producer's point right. of view. They could just about, you know, cope with the fact that there was no Robin, yeah. because the creator, you know, deemed it so yeah. and and approved, uh, etc. But um, it was uh, the casting of Batman uh, himself, right? And just as you have so brilliantly uh, uh, said, um, it is the, the, and I remember Tim Burton uh, at some point when, you know, angles are being changed or uh, whatever, um, uh, said, you know, the whole point of Batman is that anybody could be this avenging angel, given the set of circumstances that he went through as a child and so on and so forth. So he, Tim Burton, was adamant that it should not be some Venice Beach muscle-bound, lantern-jawed superhero. Yeah. It had to be the uh, the everyman, hence yeah. Michael Keaton, yeah. uh, being cast, yeah. uh, uh, as opposed to, say, Arnold Schwarzenegger yeah, or yeah, yeah, any yeah. of the other um, buffed-up yeah. uh, superheroes mm. that uh, Completely. were around at the time. Yeah. Um, that was also a bit of a wobble because uh, Michael Keaton uh, as far as I recall um, essentially was a discovery from Saturday Night Live Mm -hmm. he was a stand-up comedian um, who kind of segued more into acting but because um, he'd he'd worked with Tim on Beetlejuice Mm -hmm. uh, Tim thought that he would be be the man to to play uh, uh, Batman Um, as indeed he did of course um, and the third character who who really really stood out um, uh, on that week uh, was the first AD, right. uh, the late Derek Cracknell. Okay. Um, who uh, well uh, put it this way? Um, it seemed he liked me, and I was hugely grateful. He'd firsted all of the early ba- uh, Batman, uh, the early Bond movies, right? Um, so he was used to. Uh, big action yeah. uh, stuff yeah. um, and he had a voice and demeanor um, not dissimilar to um, a regimental sergeant major you know there was a crack to his voice and he said right come on you know we will go and Tim Burton would not be harassed or um, or hurried um, because uh, well the first job is to keep things moving mm-hmm. and to make damn sure that what's on the shooting schedule for that day is completed of course, with it's there nothing dropped. There to be the bad guy exactly. There to be the bad you, guy to make sure you get the indeed you get what you need at the end of the indeed. day. Indeed, and uh, you do you 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 hit it right there uh, on the head bit because uh, it, it, it you, you there's got to be a bit of a bastard in you mm-hmm. uh should that be required um but uh he did shout and ball an awful lot but uh, he 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 kept referring to me as his mate cuz my mate's got a hot date tonight <laughs> and he can't be late so come on Let's get a move Brilliant. on. Move this. Beep, bop, bop. Brilliant. Anyway, there, there was a moment when, uh, I, I, and I did suffer. I, I've never to this day understood why actors need PAs. Mm-hmm. I really don't. Yeah. But anyway, uh, Michael Keaton had a PA uh, as part of the uh, accoutrement. 
And because uh, I, I, there's a clause uh, in, in any contract, and if it's non-exclusive transport, um, it uh, can mean one of two things. Uh, first of all, you know, uh, any car that's available mm-hmm. will be the car that uh, drives you uh, from where to wherever. Yep. Um, and it also can mean that you don't have it to yourself. You have to share. Right. And okay. uh, it was, I think, one of the uh, early on in the week. And I had to wait for 50 minutes after I was changed and just wanted to go home. And I lived the other side of London to Pinewood. Yeah. And for 50 minutes, I was just sat in the car. Even the driver was beginning to lose it, uh, waiting for Michael Keaton's PA to rock up and she did eventually without an apology or a word or or anything she just felt that it was completely her right to Mm -hmm. and probably didn't know nor cared that other people were kept hanging around anyway um it was her who crept across the set uh at one point and she had a word with uh derek the first (laughs) and I can remember, I mean, this is, you know, full main unit. And, yeah. you know, there are a lot of people involved yep, uh, yep. in main unit, even if it's, you know, a relatively low-budget movie. But mm. with this, I mean, there were hundreds milling around. <laughs> and I, it was kind of a long shot, if you will. You know, I'm sat there waiting to do something, and I can see, uh, I can't remember the lady's name anyway, I saw her creeping across and making a beeline for Derek and having a word in his ear about something or another, <laughs> All I remember is, he wants to know what? How much longer he's going to be waiting? What? Are you not paying him? I don't give up how long he's got to wait. He's being paid to be here. And he's too bleeding short for the role. (laughs) Then he turned to Tim Burton and said, was he like this on Beetlejuice? You know him, don't you? Amazing. Tim Burton was like, well, I I don't really... He wants to know why he's been called and hasn't been used. Because we're not ready for him, stupid little midget. (laughs) (laughs) And I just thought to myself, oh, I'm so glad Derek Cracknell likes me, because... I'm glad I'm his mate. Yes. And, uh, you know, this is the lead in the movie... But um, when we when we we find and and I could tell when I first worked with with Michael Keaton that he he was feeling that pressure because nothing's a secret in the movie game mm-hmm. you know and the word was out you know yeah. oh the producers are getting nervous because he's not the lantern jaw muscle bound hero and there's yeah. no Robin and Jack Nicholson who was the only uh, actor on a five day. Uh, working week everyone else was on six mm-hmm. um he just uh the, the producers thought that they'd schmoozed him to the extent that he'd do one pickup shot on the saturday morning before flying off to paris for the weekend right. as was the uh the, the form deal. when yeah. uh, when he was around um anyway <laughs> they thought he was they were getting this shot for free until a bill for one hundred ninety five thousand dollars landed on their Good desk Lord. on the on the monday morning yeah and uh, you know that was uh, kind of the uh, the vibe that was going on that week. Yeah. Um, but anyway, when Michael uh, and I, uh, you know, got to it and started, you know, uh, uh, I started rather being thrown around and 
and so on. He was wonderful. He yeah. really was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I remember he he had his kids with him at one point, and I was introduced to his kids, and uh, he was fantastic and uh, a wonderful, wonderful actor. Fantastic. Well, yeah. I mean, we spoke at the start of that of it it being transported to another a world from TV to to big Hollywood blockbusters as such. The next one I want to discuss um, in in some detail is is literally another world of of, of Alien Three, uh-huh. um, and again uh-huh. another large production uh-huh. and large film. Again, the first one not particularly that much expectation upon it, and then out of nowhere they've created an iconic um, uh, a movie monster, yeah, essentially, and Absolutely. yeah, and and. And there haven't been many modern iconic m- m- movie monsters. You'll generally no. look to Frankenstein and the Mummy yeah. and things like that. But the Alien in Alien is is one of them. It is that iconic. So, Absolutely. So how was that to step in on something that's already two in, and and you know it's already there and got its its legs as such. Absolutely. Well, I saw the first one mm-hmm. and like the rest of the world was blown away by it Amazing. it was incredible yeah. uh, an incredible movie for some reason because science fiction to be absolutely honest is is not really my my thing uh, yeah. uh in in terms of movies you yeah. know um uh, uh so i missed the second one mm-hmm. um because frankly i thought you cannot even yeah. get close yeah to yeah. Ridley's... It was uh, all there, I've got that, yeah. Absolutely, you know. So I missed uh, Aliens. And then, again, the phone rang, and um, I'll give them their due. They were absolutely upfront about being bald. Right, yeah. They said, you know, we're not doing skull caps. we're not doing nearly bald or close-shaved. Mm-hmm. It's all off. It's yeah. billiard ball uh, baldness. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're not prepared to lose your hair... Yeah. Uh, then please don't bother uh, taking this any further. Yeah. So I was told this right from the get-go. Mm-hmm. So uh, as the saying goes, I knew the job was dangerous before I took it on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, not that I had any choice in it. Uh, but however, um, it came to pass. Yeah. Uh, they thought that uh, I would be good. I was going through a period actually uh, relating to other stuff uh, of what I call my first guy who gets it. Right. Uh, chapter. Right. And this was a classic, you know, yeah. all uh, minced and finished with by page 23. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I never last longer than that in yeah. uh, in anything. And um, <laughs> the 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 principle behind uh, the, uh, the making of Alien 3, I thought, was a brilliant one. Joe Roth, who was head of 20th Century Fox at the mm-hmm. time, thought it would be really great to uh, try out potential wunderkinds uh, on what is, in effect, franchise material. And this is where David Fincher uh, came in, Mm -hmm. whose experience hitherto had been music video, um, albeit the high-end George Michael, Madonna, uh, that caliber of uh, artiste. Um, And uh, he's, uh, uh, as far as I know, and I stand to be corrected by people who know far more than I ever will, Mm -hmm. um, I believe that Alien 3 was his first full-on feature movie. Um, Well, I can only imagine that in the world of music video, particularly back in the early 90s, as this was, Mm -hmm. um, you had, relatively speaking, a huge amount of money. Yeah. um, And 
awful lot of time uh-huh. to come up with, in effect, a three, three and a half minute end product. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have that luxury in major motion no. uh, picture making. Yeah. So in consequence, on top of his, and he declared this openly, he said, I don't believe actors warm up till takes 11 or 12. To which I said to him, well, it's the law of diminishing returns with me, David. I mean, if you ain't got it in three, it just gets worse and worse and worse, mate. <laughs> yeah. So um, take 44. So, oh, man. So in consequence, uh, he was two days behind before lunchtime on day one. Right. Which yeah. immediately makes Suits very nervous indeed. 100% particularly in- if they're going, oh, we'll try this youngster. <laughs> you know. Exactly. So it was fraught with all of that. It, it seemed that, that um, um, uh, each day there was, uh, as each day went by, there was a sort of mathematical correlation to the number of extra suits that seemed to be mm-hmm. milling around the set. Right. Um, but uh, if that wasn't sort of uh, enough, and frankly, you know, it, it, over the years, you know, that pretty much is how it is now. Yeah. You know, producers like to be seen and heard uh, as opposed to be heard and not seen Um, however um, uh, one of the thoughts that David had um, uh, with regards to the character I played in Alien 3 um, he uh, (laughs) English and American humour you know uh, he he came up to me after uh, the read through and said uh, Chris uh, do you know that Rolling Stone song painted black to which I said no David never heard of it (laughs) He said, oh, okay. It goes, I see a red door. I said, no, no, I, uh, yes, of course, I know it. Sorry, David. I said, it's English. <laughs> yes, yeah. yes. He said, well, I think it would be really cool if you're singing that song when you're scraping all that shit off the walls, you know, before the alien squirts acid in your face. So I said, oh, okay, fine. Yes, great. So off I went, uh, straight to HMV, got Stone's Greatest Hits, you know, and, uh, you know, got familiar with, uh, well, hopefully the key. You know, I I, I can carry a tune, as they say, but, uh, man, I ain't no natural singer and I don't have perfect pitch or any of that. So I didn't want to make a complete mullering and and fool of myself uh, in the rendition. So at least I, I tried to get the key right to sing unaccompanied and all the rest of it. Well, my first day on the movie was indeed that particular scene. Yeah. And the first kind of uh, alarming uh, experience was the fact that every individual except me had an industrial face mask on. Right. (laughs) Oh, bloody hell, what am I getting involved in here? No longer did I have to think on that uh, particular thought before uh, I caught the eye of the line producer, a guy called Ezra Swadlow, uh, who beckoned me over uh, and uh, asked me if I was the actor. And I said, well, one of them, yes. And he said, I understand Fincher wants you to sing Paint of Black. So I said, yes, that's right. He said, well, you got to hum at least one of the takes, otherwise the scene ain't going to be in the movie. We're not paying $50,000 to Jagger and Riches and royalties, okay? So hum, yeah. remember, hum. At that point, I was called to the set, and I thought, well, hang on, what's this got to do with me? This is a production issue, so yeah. what? Now I've got to pretend to forget the words to try to ensure that the scene's going to be in the... Oh, no, 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 no. However, that was the least of my worries. The set 
was essentially a giant inner tube of a toilet roll, if you will. Yeah. It was just a huge cylinder with the camera and crew at one end and this industrial-sized fan at the other. And there was not a flat square millimetre of, of space to be had anywhere. Wow. Yeah. On top of which, it was all dressed in sort of gritty atmospheric yeah. stuff, some of which was on the floor, some of which I had to scrape off the walls, etc., etc., etc. Well, um, frankly, it didn't matter what I sang because the noise of the fan was so loud that you couldn't hear anything. Right. So whatever it was was going to be uh, yeah. you know, post-productive. Uh, yeah. pro- it's going to be a post-production job yeah but i uh, you know i went with uh paint it black as uh david uh in- instructed and so on and take after take after take after take after take i mean he wasn't lying when he he said he doesn't believe in anything happening before <laughs> i mean we really were we were up into take 34 take 41 just to drop a face hugger you know just right. literally let it go yeah which was really doing my head in because i thought you know ah, how many more times i mean what what I'm, all yeah. i'm doing is dropping a piece of you know latex or, or whatever or it what was you know, you know uh anyway uh finally um fincher at one point and this is in the morning um you know said you know i need some more atmosphere in the air uh you guys on the fan Aim it at the actor. And that was all I remember when on action, uh, the blast, which had been pretty hefty, you know, uh, already, suddenly almost knocked me off my feet. I mean, it was like, you know, a 747 jet engine at me. And just by instinct... I just turned to see where this force was, was, was coming from. Fwap hit in the eye at about 200 miles an hour by a great big lump of grit. I thought I thought my eye had exploded. Oh, wow. And it actually was part of the scene uh, because it ended up with me recoiling, having having had alien acid right. squirted in my face. Yeah. And it was only when the fan died and, you know, everything calmed down and I'm still lying on the floor screaming because I, I, I thought I'd lost my eye. I really yeah. did. I couldn't open Good it. I, I, I couldn't do anything with it. And as far as I knew, you know, my eyeball had either disintegrated or was shoved. It felt like it was shoved so far back in my head that it was never going to be seen again. Anyway, eventually, um, you know, they realized that I wasn't acting, uh, that I was actually in uh, severe discomfort. And um, there was a nurse on set, as there always is in uh, these kind of situations, and she couldn't get my eye open, and it was already <laughs> swelling up. Yeah. So amazingly enough, there was a doctor's surgery at Pinewood. I don't know whether it was there purely for the production or whether it's always there. Yeah, yeah. Um, however, um, I was taken by with the nurse uh, across to the doctor's surgery, who sat me in the chair and, you know, and somehow you kind of feel that you're in safe hands, you know, when mm-hmm. you're in a doctor's, sure. you know, when there's something nasty going on. You'd think. Anyway, he managed to sort of prise my eyeball open and just went, ooh, yes, <laughs> indeedy. He said, I can see one huge bit, but you've got lots of other bits of, oh, of wow. uh, grit and gravel uh, in there. Um, and then he said something that was, uh, well, interesting. He said, now, he said, this will not hurt, which immediately makes you think, well, it's going to, so what is it? He said, I'm going to have to inject your eyeball 
with a yellow dye are in Novocaine. He said, don't worry, the, the, the white of the, of the eye, um, it's a bit like fingernails. There are no nerves in. Mm-hmm. So you will not feel any pain, but your world will turn bright yellow for a nanosecond. As indeed it did, the dye obviously to show up where all the little bits mm-hmm. of grip were and so on. And so he did that, and it was sort of, you know, back to drama school days, really. Um, <laughs> sunshine yellow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and all that psychedelia, because it was. I was just <laughs> lying there with this yellow world in front of wow. me. As he was sort of going in with um, tweezers or, or whatever. Thought. And I could actually hear, you know, the, the sound of, um, of, of grit in metal kidney bowl, you know, ding, yeah. ding, you know, yeah, those yeah. bits were coming yeah. out anyway he washed the eye and, and so on and, and that was it i was back to work he also you know cold compressed it and took yeah. the swelling out and and so on so all was good first shot up after lunch was aliens pov of acid being squirted in my face and they cut a hole in this cylinder uh, type thing uh which was literally just big enough for my head to fit in yeah and being i was completely bald and part of the dressing was this kind of like wiry stuff and everything well, there was a tiny piece of very sharp wire just overhanging the top of this hole right. and i could feel it you know just gently reminding me at all moments yep. that it was there yeah yep. so i had no wriggle room whatsoever yeah just completely stuck well um the uh, special effects guy who was in charge of actually shooting this gloop which was i think food dye and air gel mm-hmm. and all manner of non-toxic materials as i was uh, repeatedly told yeah uh into my eye uh was getting a little nervous and he started pointing, uh, started off pointing the gun, sort of, you know, around about chin level, mouth, yeah. you know, around that area. But as, you know, the preamble b- before action with, you know, sound speed, picture up, and all the rest of it was being shouted right round mm-hmm. the, uh, the, the, uh, the studio. Um, his hand was shaking and getting higher and higher. <laughs> And I could, I couldn't move, and, and and there was nothing I could do except sort of like a really bad ventriloquist, you know. Say, no, no, Dave, lower the gun, lower the gun, mate. Look, please lower the fucking Dave, lower the action. Bosh, hit me in the other friggin' eye. Good lord. I'm back to the surgery again. At least you knew. At least you knew where it was. So you've learned about it now. I mean, the doctor said, "What are they doing to you?" Because yeah. he had to unglue. Because <laughs> it, it it was nothing like the force. The, yeah, the, yeah. the grit uh, yeah. hit me uh, right eye. But oh, there, there was a there was a nice splat and everything, and I, I just could, couldn't open my eye. And nobody had the wherewithal to uh, to do anything, so it was back to the friggin' surgery uh, to have it, you know, washed out and uh, and syringed and and all the rest of it. And uh, he did say, he said, "What are they doing to you there?" I said, "Well, there you go." I said, "I spent a week on Batman uh, a couple of years previously, being thrown around for six days a week. I didn't get so much as a bruise yeah. on this. I, I haven't even completed it." A- yes. <laughs> I said the next stage yeah. is going to be, you know, yeah. St. Peter's Hospital yeah. in Epsom or somewhere, yeah. you know, in traction. 
but um, it it, uh, it it was a tough shoot. It, yeah. it, you know, going back to you know the Alveda saying you know not enough to do and everything, and the schedule just went out of the window mm-hmm. to such an extent that it was the first time that I'd heard the expression "cattle call," um, which uh, essentially means get everybody in. Yeah. And in fact, I overheard the the, the conversation when uh, um, it was your man uh, Swadlow again, mm. uh, who said, "You know, I don't care. You know, they're being paid for the week; they can be here. I don't care whether they're used or not. We don't know where we're going to go from one shot to the next on this. Just I want everybody here, working. ready, good to go in whatever direction uh, we end up going yeah. in." So you just knew there is nothing or very few things, uh, relatively speaking, of course, uh, more soul-destroying than knowing that you're looking at 15 hours door-to-door with nothing to do except sit there covered in this oily makeup that is not very pleasant or uh, comfortable. You can never kind of truly forget that you've got it because yeah, yeah, every time you touch something or try and do something yeah, yeah, you've got it's a constant st- uh, stuff so it, 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 it was six weeks that I was uh, booked for and uh, when the day came that uh, I was out of contract with still about three or four appearances I mean I knew that we were little more than set dressing yeah, you know yeah. I knew that that was yeah, the, the yeah. case so it wasn't a case of oh I thought there'd be more to do, you know. I and was fully cognizant, yeah, yeah. yeah. But even so, you know, uh, boredom uh, can be a very, very destructive thing. And frankly, I was just desperately trying not to open my mouth and bark <laughs> at somebody <laughs> who was not responsible for the situation yeah. any more than I was, you yeah. know. Yeah. So it was a case of just keeping my mouth shut. Mm-hmm. And uh, keeping my head down and uh, hoping that, uh, you know, the time eventually will come when I no longer have to uh, go uh, uh, back to to work on. I yeah. know it's an awful thing to say, but, no, no. Uh, you know, every, every world is different. And that one was particularly uh, one where I was waiting for it to to end however um uh joe roth eventually uh saw the rough cut of uh uh or what i believe david fincher thought was the final cut and hated it oh really oh yeah uh so there was this massive reshoot um he he said there was too much alien uh you know thereby destroying all the drama yes absolutely um he wasn't happy with uh uh, the chemistry between Sigourney Weaver's character and Charles Dance's mm-hmm. character. Um, he, uh, basically, you know, he just tore it to shreds. Wow. But amazingly enough, and this was uh, a hell of a recession, not only uh, in the industry, mm-hmm. uh, but, you know, across uh, certainly across the UK in 1991, prices of property was crashing yeah. and all the rest of it. But films were, were, were just not getting made uh, because there was no money. Um, and a real good uh, key to all of that was because they remounted it on the Fox lot in uh, in Hollywood, in Los wow. Angeles. And uh, just when you thought, you know, you were free, 
um, the phone rang sort of round about November time, and my agent said, uh, you know, uh, alien threat. Ah. And the problem <laughs> was, you see, that, that my hair had grown back right. uh, to the point where I was looking almost normal. Yeah. I went through a horrible phase of that. Yeah, well, exactly. You know, I yeah. mean, uh, I'm, I'm no oil painting. Uh, and particularly with a bald head that's right. kind of growing back. And at the time... That in-between phase. Um, yeah. And I li- was living in Hackney uh, in East London mm. um, at that time. And it was uh, that kind of look, that close-cropped skinhead mm-hmm. look uh, was uh, almost, um, you know, uh, w- without people uh, giving it a second thought. You look like a member of the BMP yeah, or the course. National yeah. Front yeah, or yeah, yeah, some yeah. horrific, extreme, racist organization. I will say I did get served real quick wherever <laughs> yeah, I went. Yeah, yeah. You know, all I had to do was show up, maybe yeah. six or seven people deep, you know. Yeah. Uh, yes, sir, what would you like? Yes. I'll throw it to you. Um, yeah. You can pay me later. Bye. Bye. You know, it Amazing. was... But I, I hated that, and m- more importantly, of course, or just as importantly, um, you know, um, casting is is forever looking for, you know, the stereotype and the blinkered mm-hmm. uh, vision and so on and so forth. Yeah. So it was limiting me, was limiting or at least I was uh, justifying my unemployment uh, <laughs> by that, yeah. as, as, you know, uh, I've, I've got to get my hair uh, back. So... The thought of going through all of that again, which is about a three-month period from baldness to relatively normal hair length, um, I thought, it's another three months, you know. uh, So I I, I didn't want to know. And in true Hollywood cliched form, um, and it has to be genuine, Mm -hmm. you're not wanting to know, Mm -hmm. um, they will do whatever they can to get a hold of you. Yeah. And none of it made any sense because I thought, you know, what? Monster eats bald guys. I mean, you know, I don't want to know. Go on to bald guy number 64 yeah. or whatever, yeah, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. Well, because I didn't understand what was going on. Yeah. Um, the original uh, shoot in Pinewood had me and the actor Carl Chase um, in an abattoir mm-hmm. and the first appearance of the alien in Alien 3. And I think, you know, the director's cut still has that uh, scene yeah. in it. Yeah. Um, but it emerges from a dead ox. Right. Now, whether, and I learned this from Tim Burton on Batman, this whole audience research thing that mm-hmm. Hollywood goes into and they get what they believe is a true demographic of a, of a movie audience. Uh, you get to see a final cut before release or anything else and then you're asked about 358,000 questions mm-hmm. as to what you liked about this, that and the other. Do you think this, that, yaddy, 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 yaddy. And then apparently they pull all of this information into some, you know, uh, cosmic machine that prints out the the formula for a successful movie. And um, I don't know whether dead oxen uh, generate no audience (laughs) sympathy whatsoever. But for some reason, they change the dead ox to a um, a long neck long-haired uh necked uh rottweiler okay which they attributed to my character right the dog's name was bubba and what a dog it was there was bubba the dog and karen the uh, dog wrangler yeah and when i finally got out to uh to uh the fox lot in -hmm. uh, in la 
um, uh, the, uh, because it wasn't just a simple thing. The dog was, was there with egg yolk or whatever it was drooling out of yeah. its mouth. Um, oh, no, no, no. It had to be far more precise than that. Mm-hmm. And David Fincher had it sort of turning its head in recognition and then fully recognizing me and sort of raising up onto its front legs. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, the dog was brilliant. It did yeah. all of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wow. mean, on cue and everything. The difficulty was trying to time uh, lines uh, in between Karen's uh, calling, Karen, the, calling yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and so on. Anyway, in, in, in American fashion, they, they just work until uh, somebody eventually says, okay, that's it for the day. Mm-hmm. And this would be about nine o'clock at night, and we're still doing this sequence. And one of the directions that uh, Fincher made the dog uh, do was lick my face in recognition. <laughs> And the only way the dog would do that is if I... It it had a thing for Philadelphia cream cheese. Right, okay, sure. So I had a full pack of Philadelphia cream cheese slapped down the side of my face, obviously away from camera. Yeah. And Bubba would uh, lick it all off. Yeah. As it uh, licked away. Well, as I say, we got up to about nine o'clock at night, and um, finally, you know, yet more um, uh, nuance in in direction uh, came from from David Fincher, and uh, he said, "Chris, you know, this time it would be really great, you know, if you could get your hand into the dog's mouth, you know, to really, really see where all this goo's coming from." So I said, "Right, okay, yes, yes." And uh, on action, I did exactly that. And it was something that I just noticed. There was a look in the dog's eye that just changed. And all I could hear was this real low... And I thought, oh, no, 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 no. Yeah. I am going no further. And in my mind, I tried to, I don't know, do a kind of Carlos Castaneda, you know, or, or yaki uh, Indian um, shapeshift, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I just pretended, I thought, I'm not here, and if I believe that I'm not here, then the dog believes that I'm not here either. Yeah. I, I basically just froze, but yeah. trying to show absolutely no fear whatsoever. yeah. yeah. And cut, 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 you know, and all the rest of it. And it was the early days of uh, directing by technology. So right. uh, it took a while for Fincher to de-rig himself and unplug himself from this, that, and right. that. Yeah. Anyway, he came down on the floor. He said, whoa, 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 what? Why did you stop? I said, well, the dog growled. He said, what? I said, the dog growled. He said, I didn't hear it growl. And I said, well, I can assure you, David, it did. Otherwise, I wouldn't have stopped. Yeah, yeah. And he said, oh, man, you know, you know, shit, you know, man, you know, and, and he got really, you know, quite upset yeah. that I, you know, essentially ruined what I felt to be an entire day's work, you yeah. know, so that was it. Oh, man, you know, I don't know. Yeah, jeez, yeah. what do you mean the dog, gro- man, you know, and as he was getting more and more you know, agitated, that's when the first step in. And David, you know, I think uh, I think we got to wrap this up for today, man. You know, everybody's been working out. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. Okay, that's it. That's a wrap, everybody. This is a hot set. We'll be back here tomorrow. Okay, that's it. Good night. 
And I got back to my hotel and I felt terrible. I really did. Yeah. I thought, God, I've ruined the. Oh, man, this is awful. And, you know, anyway, the next day, we didn't continue with that particular sequence. Not first up. There were other stuff that he wanted to, to do, true to form, you know, jumped into something else. So I was hanging around a lot. And then lunch was called and uh, they had the, the commissary or. Uh, as they call it there, you know, which was a bit of Hollywood history, for goodness sake. You know, all of the studio stars of Fox back in mm-hmm. the golden age, you know, pictures everywhere. So yeah, that yeah, was yeah. kind of nice to have yeah. lunch. Uh, so anyway, I was coming back from, from that and heading back to uh, whatever soundstage it was. And all of a sudden I hear, Chris, Chris. And I looked across and it's David Fincher. This isn't an accurate impression of David Fincher. It's just a sort of first American accent that comes to mind. Anyway, he came rushing across and he went, man, he said, you know, I just saw the dailies from from yesterday. He said, man, that dog growled. And I said, it sure did. He said, man, I am so sorry. He said, I don't know, maybe I didn't have my headphones uh, on properly or something, but, man, I didn't hear anything uh, at the time. But, man, when that came up uh, in in the loop there, whoa. No wonder you stopped. And I'm real sorry, man. I, I really oh, yeah. am. You know, you okay? And I said, oh, yeah, absolutely, David. I, I, I said, I'm just so sorry that, you know, uh, I thought I'd mess the day shoot up. And he said, no, man, it's great. What you're doing, you know, you have some great stuff there. But, you know, I just want to say, man, I got that wrong. That was a bad call. Oh, wow, so, awesome. uh, you know, good on you, dude. And uh, and I just thought, well, there you go. He didn't have yeah. to do that. He yeah, could have wicked. kept real quiet and yeah. just, you know, let me believe that it was all my fault yeah. and, and so on. But he did, you know. That's honestly, amazing. Again, I you know, that. He, well, so do I. You so know. much other stuff to be exactly, getting on with. Exactly, you know. Even like if it wasn't said. a not wanting to admit wrong, could have just been a, I've moved on and forgotten. Exactly. But that, yeah, that yeah, addressing yeah. it is wicked. There yeah. you go, you know. And that. that and that was actually uh, the kind of guy he was. I loved him. I thought yeah. he was... He was terrific. And just to, to top and tail the whole uh, Alien 3 experience, um, yeah, um, the uh, the line producer won out. Um, uh, eventually, I was uh, flown back to L.A. again um, <laughs> to uh, re-record the uh, the scraping song, right. uh, which uh, turned out to be Zager and Evans in the year 2525. Right, yeah. So I guess the royalties on that were a lot cheaper. A lot, yeah, cheaper a lot more affordable. Than, uh, uh, than uh, Jagger and, uh, and Richard's yeah. work. Oh, well, that's a perfect note to, to, to end it on. We've just gone past the two and a half hours mark, so I'll end, I'll end it there. It's Time flies, isn't it? It Whoa, flies by. What? Well, thank you very oh. much for your time. And it, well, again, the beauty you. of this is kind of something that we've referenced several times of um, the potential inconsistencies of film and the waiting around is the fact that we're both up here we have a free day, there essentially, so it kind Waiting of timed around. perfectly to, to sit really? and have this chat. So thank you Couldn't so much. Be it's been amazing. Oh, well, thank you, Pip. It's been an absolute honour and a privilege. It really has. Thank I'm you, man. thrilled. Thanks so much. Scrooge Pits, the Scratch Jumpies.
there we go. That was part two with Chris Fairbank. We've got a lot of good stuff coming up, man. Um, at the moment, I've not recorded them, but, but I'm trying to line up chats with with Goldie, with Doc Brown, with Chris Ramsey, with loads of really good people. So um, plenty more to come. I should plug the Distraction Pieces Network. There's some amazing podcasts. Hardcore Listing is a top five podcast with... Um, Chris and Stu from the Drunk Cast. They've had some amazing guests. They had an amazing one the other week with um, Ed Scrine. Uh, it's really, really good. They Ed Scrine, because so the guest picks their top five, and Ed Scrine picked top five thugged out emotional rap records. So, so r- rough, tough guys, but, but picking a song of theirs where they get deep and emotional. And it's amazing. Um, I, I dubbed it, This is what it sounds like when thugs cry, but that's t- too long a hashtag, apparently. So, Forget it, but check that out. Also, check out Say Why to Drugs with myself and Dr. Susie Gage. Stop and Search with Jason Reed and Tuesday Night Jewel with Jim Smallman. So, check all of them out. And uh, yeah, I'll be back next week. Thank you very much for tuning in. You're all lovely. Ta ta.